If you'd like to turn to Ezekiel and chapter 37. to think about this passage this morning, but before I do, there there are two things really that I want to say, which are not related in one sense, but they come out of what's been happening so far. Uh, One thing, it did just cross my mind as we were calling upon God about that whole abortion bill, that we were obviously praying for righteousness, we were obviously wanting God to move and to act in that situation. But God does not want anyone here this morning who is a bit closer to home on that subject, say you've had an abortion, to go away feeling ever so guilty, ever so condemned, that all these people were praying about something that you'd been involved in. Do realise that yet the act is wrong, but God loves you and wants you to really enjoy his forgiveness and freedom from the guilt of what you did. Second thing that I want to say is that as we've been worshipping God and as we've been conscious of his presence, conscious of his life amongst us and vitality as we've been worshipping, I believe that God wants to speak to those who feel really pretty dead in comparison. And as we share this morning, you can know the Lord Jesus has brought a lot of people around you here this morning to life. And if in comparison you felt dead inside, you haven't entered in, you've been way out of it, don't really understand what they're all so excited about and fervent about, I want to tell you this morning that you, who the Bible says, are dead in your trespasses and your sins and your wrong, as we all were once, you, God wants to bring to life. And this morning, you can know the life of the Lord Jesus coming into your life so that you can be as nutty as the rest of us. <clears throat> right, Ezekiel 37. <laughs> you should have found that by now. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. And I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, There was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, 
bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you are the same God today as was with Ezekiel at the time of this passage that we've just considered together. We thank you that you can breathe with power upon your church to take it into a state where it can be considered an exceeding great army. Father, we call on you this morning that you will do something within us as we hear your word that will enable us to progress toward that end. Father, we know that the need of the hour is for your church to stand up and to make itself known through the anointing of your spirit upon it. Lord, we call upon you. Come and visit us this morning again, even as you have already visited us as we've worshipped you. Come and breathe and blow upon us now, we pray. Lord, we call upon you. We want to be described as an exceeding great army. Father, work to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the burden of what I want to share with you this morning, that God wants to be able to look at us and that we're able to look and see what God is doing through his church across these towns, across the world, and be able to say what we're witnessing is an exceeding great army, a victorious army, an army on the march, an army that doesn't know defeat. It's not in its vocabulary. It's not in its thinking. It's an army that is rooted in the knowledge of victory and is moving on in victory. And that's the army that you and I are called to be part of. That is the army of the Church of God, anointed by the Spirit of God and brought into being through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you feel in the army this morning? Now that you're enlisted, do you know that you're part of it all? Do you know that there's a battle going on, there's a war going on, but you're on the victory side? You don't have to give in to defeat, you don't have to give in to despair, but we can walk in victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to stand up, an exceeding great army, so that God is able to move through us powerfully throughout this world, throughout this neighbourhood. Now, in order just to sort of open that up a little bit, let's first of all consider, again briefly, our head. Because any army obviously has its leaders, it has its organisation, and we talk about field marshals, generals, and so on. Now, Obviously, we consider Jesus, the passage that Dave read, 
just a few minutes ago, very much focused upon the Lord Jesus, powerful and triumphant, riding on that horse. As we worship Jesus, as we sing some of our songs, we're concentrating on who he is. So I don't need to spend a great deal of time concentrating on who our captain, who our Jesus is. But it is important to always have him in focus when we're talking about what God wants us to be. Because if we think of what God is saying, I want you to be this, and I want you to be that, and I want you to grow in this area, and I want you to develop here, and so on and so forth, that can be very hard. But he doesn't just say, this is all what I've planned out, now come on, get on with it, get doing it. What God is doing is saying, look at the leader that I've given you. Just behold him. See his example. See how he's gone before. And more and more and more as you focus on him, will you become what I want you to become. Yes, I do want you to realise what I want you to become, but most of all, focus upon him. Our Jesus is a fantastic leader. He's a glorious leader. He's a victorious leader. He's got such tremendous authority, tremendous power. He's captain of the Lord of hosts. If we think of the army of the people of God, or think of the angelic army, the hosts and hosts of angels, he's in charge. He leads them. He's the one who sends them into battle. He's the one who instigates battle. He's the one who overcomes the enemy. And we see in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament, we see throughout the history of God's people, the Lord of hosts, captain of the armies, moving through other agents, through people that he gives authority to in order to bring about the victory of God. That's the Jesus that we worship. He's our saviour. He's our protector. He's the initiator of our salvation. He's someone who's done it all. We can be absolutely secure in him. He's not someone who is going to lead us out into battle and then it's going to be a hopeless situation. There are illustrations in the world wars where generals led their men into hopeless situations. Many thousands losing their lives because of the strategy that they'd been asked to follow, which was up the creek. Jesus isn't like that. He's going to lead us into victory and through victory. And as our eyes are upon him and upon what he's done, we're able to enjoy the victory that he has already achieved. Jesus is worth following. He's such a wonderful leader because he had very clear objectives in his life. He said that he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. John, writing of him in his letter, says that he came to destroy the works of the enemy. And that's what Jesus has done. We see that he destroyed the works of the enemy, the works of the devil, inasmuch as he did not once succumb to temptation. The battle that we're engaged in is a battle of temptation to sin. We're constantly being uh, put in this situation where we're being tempted to do that which is wrong, that which displeases God. But Jesus, I'm fighting this particular front, overcame every temptation that was put in his path. There was nothing that he was encouraged to do that he gave into. Absolutely solid, absolutely strong, so that even on the cross, in agony and in pain, as the devil then would have loved him to have added some curse 
some swearing, something that would just cause him to be offline. Even in that situation, he did not flinch. He won the victory. And he calls us to walk in that victory too. That we might not sin. That we might be able to walk in righteousness as we follow him. We've seen how he demonstrated his victory as he overcame sickness, as he delivered those who were oppressed of the devil, overcame some of the problems of nature with the storm, he caused it to be still, as he overcame death, as he caused people to be brought back from the dead. We have a wonderful leader in the Lord Jesus. And you can't begin to really adequately describe that. But we have such a wonderful leader, and he's calling us this morning, I have made you an army. I've made you to be a group of people that are coming together to go out into warfare and to be triumphant, to be victorious. I want you to see yourselves as an exceeding great army as the wind of my spirit blows upon you. The church derives its authority from the fact that we are the redeemed of the Lord. We once were in the enemy's camp, but we're not in his camp any longer. We once were in darkness, we're now in light. Consequently, we have an authority through Jesus to come against him and to come against what he has achieved and what he's done. As we, as the people of God in the church, enjoy our calling, that we've been chosen, that we've been personally singled out by God to have a place in the work that he is doing with security to be able to come against the enemy. We don't have any security in ourselves, we don't have any authority in ourselves, but we enjoy what Jesus has done for us and what he's achieved for us. As we revel in the wonderful truth that he has called us and that he has given us the task of going out into all the world and proclaiming the gospel to every creature. That's the collective task that he's given to the church. We say, yes, Lord, we can walk in that. We can follow in that. You're our leader. You have given us the authority to walk in your steps because you've purchased us with your blood. Jesus was known for the fact that he was a man who didn't have lots of words but no power and impact behind them. He was known as someone who spoke and action followed. He calls you and I to live in this world as people who are not full of words, as people who have powerful impact. That's why when we prayed this morning, we were praying really as an army. We were coming to God. We are expecting, we're looking for powerful impact upon the situations that we pray about because we have authority in the Lord Jesus Christ. We live under his lordship, under his leading, and that puts us in a place of security and strength. But if you come back to Ezekiel 37, if you wonder why I read it and haven't mentioned it much, if you come back to Ezekiel 37, you notice that there are four stages in the development of the army that you see described in this passage. Obviously the scene as it is at the beginning is very dismal, that it is just a valley of dry bones. It's utterly dead. Obviously we believe by the grace of God 
that he wouldn't look upon his church today like that, that we have moved on from that point. But it is important just to draw a few principles as to how we've moved on and why the church today stands at a point where it is able to have more impact than perhaps it's ever had in its entire history. That's a very interesting, important statement I've just made there, that we are on the threshold of being able to make a more significant contribution to evangelism in this world and into the bringing in of the kingdom of God day than at any other time in history. And it's because God has been building and working and moving along the principles that we see in this passage. Because the first thing that happens is that the bones that are looking very dry and are obviously very dead are being brought together and assembled into a structure. And as God has been blowing upon his church down the centuries, we've seen particularly in recent years the necessity that we build according to the pattern that God shows us. We've been encouraged to see that it isn't a terribly rigid and harsh situation. It's not quite the same as the instructions given about building the temple uh, and, and building the tabernacle and so on. But nevertheless, we've seen from the scriptures that God does have a structure for his church a particular pattern that he has chosen in his sovereignty to be able to move through with tremendous power and effect. And that's based upon something which those of you who have done the commitment course will be familiar with, this whole raising up of the ministries of the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, teacher and the evangelist. And very, very quickly I want just to remind us of those ministries this morning because they are significant in what we're moving into. If we forget these foundational things, we won't understand and appreciate what God is doing now. And we won't enjoy the fullness of what God wants to do if we don't always have our eye upon where we came from, our roots. As these bones come together, and as the church has been coming together, we've seen the role of the apostle, the master builder, the one who organises, as it were, the materials, who puts things into place, who sees that the foundation is properly laid, who sees as he visits either a church in these days which has been in existence, he is able to go into that situation and see that it's founded upon the word of God, that there is repentance and that there is faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, that folk who've responded in that way have been baptised in water, and that they've come into the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle is able to lay that foundation, either absolutely fresh, because there wasn't anything there before, or going into a situation that exists, and just checking out and seeing that that foundation is there. It's vitally important, and we need to value the role that Terry has amongst us. The gift of God to the particular church that we're involved in, and the role that he has is overseeing, watching, looking, seeing if any correction is needed to the course that we're taking, to the way that we're building. We know, again, harping back to the storm, how some buildings floundered and it was discovered that it was because there were problems in the way they were built in the first place. We don't want floundering in the church because we want to see that it's been built properly in the first place. And that's the role of the apostle. The prophet has the role of bringing vision, bringing a sense of direction, 
bringing the word of God, bringing objectives and goals so we know where we're heading, why we're heading in that direction. And as a prophet, he will also seek to set an example in the way that he lives so that he's not someone who's just saying, thus saith the Lord, go and get on with it. He's able to say, this is what God is saying, and I'm out there with you. We're working, we're moving in that direction. And the role of the pastor-teacher to come and to nourish and to feed and to encourage and to comfort and to strengthen and to exhort the believer to be able to grow in the vision that the prophet has given and within the structure that the apostle has built. And then, you'll be pleased to know Mike, we'll mention the evangelist, whose job it is to equip and to train the church. I'm reading this, you see, so I get it absolutely right. Uh, To equip and to train church members to share the gospel, to encourage an evangelistic lifestyle in the church, and to spearhead specific evangelistic effort. That is the role of the evangelist that we see moving in the church. The bones came together. God has given us the means to be able to come together, to work within a structure that he can bless and pour out his spirit upon. We need to value that. We are the body of Christ. As individual little bones, God wants to bring us together, to unite us under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. An army is going to be effective if it's working together, not if one people attacking that front and someone's attacking that front and no one's looking out over there. It's got to be working together. That's why God is telling us and speaking to us about the four or five congregations across the town, having a sense also of being one church, that we are an army, that we are moving together under the leadership of the Lord Jesus and being guided and blessed through the gifts that he gives in terms of the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, teacher, and the evangelist. God is equipping the church to be victorious, to have impact. We need to know our place within the body. We need to know the role that God has given us to fulfill. We need to be exercising our priestly role, our prophetic role, our kingly role, as we've heard about it in in previous weeks. We need to be serving with all our heart in the areas that God gives us to do. And secondly, we notice that after the bones come together, there's the great rattling and rumbling, uh, which is always good. And then we have this business about the sinews and the flesh and the skin. I'd just like to share very briefly on that sort of aspect of the development of the army of God. I felt that in many ways what's written at the end of Acts chapter 2, if you'd like to turn to that, Acts chapter 2, we read that after the church began and God had poured out his spirit and a number of people, 3,000 people I think it is, were saved on the day of Pentecost. Following that we read this, so then those who received his word were baptised, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's obviously vital that the bones have some flesh on it. We must not congratulate ourselves in any sense that we have the privilege of being in a church that is seeking to build according to a New Testament structure and pattern. Because that is as hopeless as looking at a skeleton. Yeah, it's good to have that, 
But we mustn't be smug about that. That's only the beginning. We've got to have the flesh, the skin, built upon that. And that implies personal responsibility, personal response to God in the way that we live our lives. For the people here, it meant devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We need to devote ourselves to the Word of God so that we have the Word of God in our hearts and in our minds and in our understanding so that we know how we should live. Now, a very, very brief look through the epistles, I picked out these points that the apostles would have taught. Obviously, Paul in particular, because he wrote a lot of them. Through the epistles, he had given people a clear grasp of who Jesus is. He had given them an understanding of the grace of God and that they were chosen by God, of who we are in Christ, of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ, of the gifts that are available through the Holy Spirit and our resources in Christ. There's teaching in there about how we should behave, teaching about forgiveness, Godwards, and forgiveness toward each other teaching about spiritual warfare and about prayer, teaching about our attitude to authority, how to handle false teaching, to see Christ's victory over death and Christ's ultimate triumph and return. I'm not saying I've got every single thing that the epistles teach, but there's several things there that are taught in the epistles. Some of those things obviously could have immediately taught to those new converts. We need to know God's word. Any of those areas, as I went through them, very quickly I admit, but as I went through them, are you weak in any of those areas? Am I weak in any of those areas? We need to get into God's word so that we see. We want to be skeletons with flesh on them. We don't want to just be bones. It's your responsibility to get into the word of God so that you can have flesh on your life. Fellowship, apparently... There are three Greek words used for fellowship. Uh, the most famous one you've probably all heard of is koinonia, koinonia, koinonia. Good. Uh, it's always a mistake to try and pronounce Greek. But uh, that's what you have when you come to our home. Well, at least as you, if you look at the door above, the word koinonia is written there. What you get inside may be a different matter. But uh, who laughed? But uh, the point being that obviously our fellowship is an important part of our growth, an important part in our development from just being a structure, a skeleton that God, all right, wants to use and work through, but what he has far, far more for. It is our sharing in the things that God has given to us, that there are things we mutually have. We have our salvation, we have the grace of God, and as we come together, we share in that. You've tasted it, I've tasted it. We share together in the good things that God has given to us. It involves sharing our resources, what we have, in order to support one another and to practically care for one another. It involves our giving into the body and our receiving out of the body. An important principle that came to the early church that's still obviously important today, not forsaking the cell. Uh, ourselves coming together and being together and strengthening one another, being here on Sundays, being here in our house groups, it's important. It's important if you want to be a skeleton with flesh. If you, if you just want to be a skeleton, stay away. But if you want to have a bit of flesh on your life, get into the Word of God, get into fellowship, 
Enjoy one another. Be part of one another. Because that way you will grow and be effective. The breaking of bread, apparently that's not necessarily a reference to taking bread and wine and remembering Jesus' death, although obviously that's an important thing to do. But it probably originally was referring to the fact they just had meals together, they shared together, and just enjoyed the fact that when they came together, as someone prayed earlier, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. And when they had a meal together, and a few believers were gathered, they enjoyed the fact the risen Lord is in our midst. It was an important part of their growth and prayer. Obviously, prayer was important. It's important to see the way in which, early on in the chapters of Acts, that the prayer life was accompanied by supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit. As they were waiting on God on the day of Pentecost, the wind of the Spirit blew through the place where they were. There was the great noise, great activity. God's starting to do that in our prayer meetings. Be there tonight and see it happen again in some way or other. God moving with great power as we pray. In Acts chapter 4, the place shook as they assembled together to pray. Again, I share with you, we do not want to be a skeleton. We're an army. We need to have flesh. We need to have skin. We need to be into the word of God. We need to be fellowshipping, sharing our lives with one another. We need to be those who are in prayer together, just calling on God as we've already done this morning. And the next stage we read, coming back to Ezekiel 37, the next stage that we read about is that the Spirit of God begins to blow upon the structure that has now got the flesh and the skin and the sinews upon it. There is just that mighty blowing of God over the situation. We've already been crying for it in some way. We need to continually cry to God, Lord, pour your Spirit out upon us. Come and fill our lives. Come and fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Blow upon us because we want to be able to stand up an exceeding great army. Not to be lying down in defeat. Not to be those who are trampled on by the enemy, but those who go out and trample on him. That is the role that we have as the church, following our leader, Jesus. God calls us to see this. The Spirit of God blew. We see it again at Pentecost as the Holy Spirit blew. We saw it in the prayer meeting in Acts 4. While Cornelius was preaching to the Gentiles, the Spirit of God fell upon the meeting. Now those things are examples of what we can experience. We can know, as it were, tongues of fire resting upon us. We can know the great encouragement and the strength and the boldness that comes from calling on God as we pray. And we can know the Holy Spirit interrupting our meetings, interrupting, please, my sermon, in order that we can just taste and see of what God is doing. The Spirit of God blowing upon us. I've got time just for one quick sit of a revival. Just about page 83. Right. <clears throat> One Sunday morning, an elder rose to speak, and his first remark was that they worshipped, was that the God they worshipped was without beginning and without end. Amen, exclaimed a young girl in the highest notes of a lovely voice. Blessed be his name forever. 
This crime might be compared to the touch of the electric button that shivers a quarry into a thousand hurtling fragments. Scores leaped from their seats and gathering in the vacant space in the centre, they gave vent to their pent-up emotion in outcries that were almost agonising in their ardour and intensity. Happenings of a similar pattern to this occurred again and again and always with the same result. The already converted section of the congregation engaged in unrestrained ejaculatory praise and the unconverted half fell under the deepest conviction. Well, Lord, do it again. We've got to see God moving in great power in that way, blowing upon us by his spirit. So God wants us to stand up an exceedingly great army. Let's just have a brief look at, as it were, Private Joe Bloggs, soldier in His Majesty Christ Jesus' army. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're called to be an army, we're called to be strong, we're called to be overcomers, we are called as individual soldiers within that army. Verses 3 and 4 just draw a few points very quickly from this particular passage about being a soldier. First of all, although it doesn't appear first, at the end of verse 4 it says that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Again, our security, our strength, is not that I chose God, but that he chose me, that he called me, That's an enormous strength in the battle situation. That's an enormous uh, strength and help when times are very difficult and very hard. We have been enlisted. We were called. Jesus called us one day. Maybe there's somebody this morning you don't know that. Well, he will call you this morning. He will call those who are dead as sins to life. The Son of Man is continually doing that. He called you to lay down your nets, lay down your life, lay down doing what you want and say this morning, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do what he wants. They're enlisted. That's the first point. Now if you go back to the beginning of verse 3, to be a soldier means to suffer hardship. There's no opting out. It means having a mind to suffer, that it will be tough, that there is the denying of self. That doesn't mean it's going to be misery. It doesn't mean it's going to be painful. But it is silly to think that being a soldier is not going to have a cost to pay. You mustn't think that. I mean, wake up if you think that. Because it is silly. It is wasting everybody's time. We are in an army. We are in a battle. And we must understand and know that there will be hardship. There will be difficulties. But Jesus is with us. And he will take us through it. And he will strengthen us through it. But it is part of our calling as a soldier. It talks about being in active service. Uh, we're in a battle. There isn't time for days off, as it were. There isn't time for holidays. It's active service that we're called to. But again, Jesus is there. He doesn't take a day off either. So he's with you all the time. That's the encouragement of it. But we are to be involved in active service. Are you an active soldier or are you a passive soldier? 
Be an active soldier. Don't be entangled in the affairs of everyday life. What's our priorities? What are the things that are most important to us? What are the things that matter most in the way in which we live and what we're seeking to do as we respond to the call of God? We are to be those who don't get entangled and entwined with all sorts of things that the world gets caught up in which is harming our spiritual growth and development. We need just to be obeying the voice of Jesus, responding to him, doing what he says, following the lead that he gives. We're to aim to please him. It's so tremendous, as we know, if you've got kids, when you see that they aim to please you, that they've actually gone out of their way to please you. God wants us to aim to please him, not that, oh, well, incidentally, that pleased me, we don't want God to say that. We want God to say, I saw that you're aiming for it. It's what you wanted. It just happened. God wants us, if we are to be this army that is exceedingly great and effective, to be aiming to please him. It's a positive thing. I can be passive. I can be negative. We can all be like that. God says to us, aim to please me. Aim to do that which is right. In 1 Timothy, we also read about the fact that we are uh, to fight the good fight. You know, the usual sort of wedding day news. Fight the good fight. You've fallen asleep. Uh, Fight the good fight. That is the good fight of faith. That we are, obviously, to have an aggressive attitude. Not aggressive in the sense of the world, but if you like, determined. And we don't give up easily. And we're not just sort of trodden down at the first disappointment, the first difficulty. But we go on trusting in God even when things don't work out as we want them to. God calls us, go on, press on, fight the good fight of faith. Realise what I've said to you. In 1 Timothy 1.18 it talks about prophecies that have been given to Timothy. Fight the good fight. You know, remember what God said to you. Hang on to it. Press on in the battle and obviously we need to arm ourselves with the armour of God and we really haven't got time to go into that in any detail but I do commend it to you that we should be honest that we should rest in the free gift of righteousness that we should keep moving and sharing the gospel rather than standing still and getting our feet hurt that we should pray at all times that we should have the sword of the spirit in our hands We are soldiers called upon to fight in the army of the Lord Jesus. The enemy has been defeated. He inhabits property that doesn't belong to him. That's the situation. Jesus is the owner, and he has said, I own this situation, and you are an unwanted tenant, referring to the enemy. The church comes along and says, yes, that's right. Jesus is the owner. Out you go. Easy for me to say, I know that. But that is what we're meant to be in the business of. Out you go. Why? Because Jesus owns this. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. I am a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm on the victory side. I don't know the mentality of defeat. I only know the mentality of victory because I am following the one who has conquered, who has won. 
We see the work of the enemy in people's lives. We see the work of the enemy in the world. We see the work of the enemy even trying to snare his way amongst the flock of God. But as we hold rank, as we hold our discipline, and as we look to the one who has called us, we can be an exceeding great army. Let's just pray, shall we? Yes, when God's Spirit blew upon those bones that had got the flesh on them, they stood up an exceeding great army. Now, I'd just like us in a minute to stand and just call on God. But as we stand and call on God, where you know you're weak, where you know you have need, if you're sick, if you're a wounded soldier this morning, Whatever your situation, if you're an ill-disciplined soldier and you know that you should be more disciplined, whatever it is that God is speaking to you, as we call upon him to blow upon us, then he wants just to move amongst us, to meet with us and to strengthen us. So we'll call on God together in just a moment. Think in the first place of what you're calling upon him for personally and then move on to saying, Lord, I call on you to make us an exceeding great army. Let's just stand together and call on God. Lord Jesus, oh Lord, we call upon you. Lord, you know our Lift up your voices with strength. God's really grieved when he just sees skeletons. He's grieved when he even sees skeletons with skin. What he wants to see is an exceeding great army. Don't let's deprive him of that. Let's call on him to do that for us. Lord, we call upon you. Lord Jesus, Father, oh Lord, come upon your church, we pray. Lord, we invite you please to move with great power upon us. Lord, make us an army. Make us not just to be content with where we are. Help us, Father, just to be reaching out for you more and more. Help us, Lord, just to be looking to you. Your power to come upon us. Lord Jesus, our Father.
Just pray that each one of us should be a warrior in his army. Just ask love right now for yourself. 